every American citizen must have an equal right to vote. The administration of elections is primarily a state and local responsibility. Whether you voted for the very first time or waited in line for a very long time, by the way, we have to fix that. Welcome to High Turnout Wide Margins. This is Brianna Lennon. I'm the county clerk in Boone County. And with me is my co-host. Eric Fade, Director of Elections in St. Louis County, Missouri. And today we're really excited to talk about the news and covering elections, especially local elections with Jessica Huseman from Vote Beat. So thank you so much for coming on today. I am so excited to be here. This is one of my favorite podcasts. So first, we always start out by asking how you yourself got interested in working in elections. So when I started, when I decided that I wanted to be a journalist, I'd been a high school teacher in Newark for a while. And so I was covering kids um, initially, and I got hired by ProPublica to cover health. And then right before the 2016 election, they said to me, just kidding, you cover elections now. And, uh, and so that's how I got involved in elections. And I thought that it would be like a one year situation. Like I was going to like help them run election land 2016. And then I was going to move on to something else. And then 2016 obviously was a different situation than, <laughs> than we all imagined. And I've just never stopped covering it. Um, but I love it. And I don't know that I'll ever stop because it's awesome. It's it, it's a very unique thing as a national political reporter to mostly talk to like county level administrators. Um, and I prefer that. I'd much rather talk to them than like Nancy Pelosi's staff. So it's, it's good. I feel a little bit spoiled because people are just funny and nice and care about what they do. Tell, uh, tell the uh, listeners uh, what you do now. What's your gig now? And what does yeah. it entail? So I am the editorial director of VoteBeat, which is a brand new newsroom um, that is dedicated to covering only voting in elections. Um, and so by the middle of next year, we will be in five states. So we're going to start hiring for those positions in the next couple of weeks. I'm really excited about that. And our purpose is really to essentially be like an industry publication for elections, right? Like there's that doesn't exist. There, there's very little dedicated coverage of the mechanics of elections and the people who make it go. And I think that by, you know, you can only look at the last three federal election cycles to see why such a newsroom is necessary, right? Like there are huge misunderstandings in terms of the mechanics of elections, not just with the voting population, but with like our legislators that I think you know, in the absence of better voter education paid for by the federal government and the state, like the media has to fill some of these holes. And so, you know, that's really our purpose is to educate voters and the people who fund voting about how voting works. With the kind of spotlight that's been on elections uh, since the November 2020 presidential election, are you finding that reporters are interested in doing this now you said you're you know you're trying to bring some new people on are is there a lot of interest in that and then the, yeah. my follow-on question to that is when you bring new people on how do you educate them on how elections work excellent questions i am pleasantly surprised that folks really want to cover this stuff i think that you know reporters over the last 
few years and certainly during the Trump administration realized that a lot of their approach to covering national politics wasn't wasn't resonating with lots of people in the world like that don't really care about the sort of palace intrigue of national politics coverage um but do care about just like how to be involved at like the most minimal way like how to cast your damn ballot and so I think that people realize that that was a hole in their coverage to begin with and then also right we just watched the media make absurd mistakes and especially in 2016 and 2018 talking about cybersecurity and like the way that elections work like all this horrible coverage coming out of like defcon <laughs> like a 13 year old hacked a machine like ah uh, i'm going to punch someone in the face and and so you know i think that people are realizing that they need to know more about this stuff and they're also i think excited to cover something that's so consequential at a local level right like elections are local right they're not it's not a thing that the national government controls it's a thing that is that is a function of the local government and and so i think that reporters who kind of miss doing hyper local coverage find this to be a really satisfying way to talk about politics and so i think we have like a really good pool of candidates i think and but it is true that once we hire them like they're probably going to be really talented state legislature reporters or local government reporters but they're not going to know anything about like what a risk limiting audit is or like how the mail works like the, these are very specific sort of things and so we have developed a two-week training program that's basically like a college course in election administration. And so they come in and they we do like guided research on the early constitution drafts of your state and like how that impacts voting today. And we have people from the USPS governing board coming in to like explain how the mail works and Charles Stewart's gonna come and talk about lines. Like, you know, it, it's gonna be a very intense sort of few weeks where they're not going to write anything like probably for the first month that these folks are under our employ they won't produce anything they'll just be learning about the system through reading and all of the things that I like had to force myself to learn over the last six years I'm trying to like boil down and pack into like a two or three week curriculum and this is really fun for me as like a former high school teacher and development like and curriculum development instructor for history in newark um this is like i feel like my whole life's been building to this moment like, it's like it's, i finally get to like take all this weird shit i know about voting and then also all of this weird shit i know about like history curriculum development and like marry it together in this little fun package so They'll either all want to quit after three weeks or they'll know a lot about voting, maybe both, but hopefully it'll work. I don't know. We'll see. I've never done anything like this before. Well, I think it's interesting too, and I know this is not specifically about elections, but I know you also do trainings on Sunshine Law Request, which mm -hmm. also does hit lots of us. I mean, I'm the custodian yeah. of records for the county, and so even though it's not election related, how did you formulate that? kind of training to, and did you talk to clerks or anybody that are fulfilling those requests to try to make those more efficient or at least like narrow in and focus? Because lots of times we get requests and people don't know what they're asking for. And so I spend a lot of time kind of walking them through, well, if this is what you want, then this is how you should ask for things and that kind of thing. And that 
is probably not a great use of your time. I yes, the so <laughs> I think by virtue of covering elections for six years, I just got really good at public records requests because that's how you get information out of county clerks if they won't answer your phone calls. <laughs> you know, I I have realized over the course of working with election land um, and ProPublica's election land project was this massive thing that involved hundreds of partner newsrooms that were everything from like the Victoria Advocate in Texas to the LA Times, right? And so we got a pretty solid survey of what every single newspaper was doing. And it was surprising to me how many journalists were just deeply unfamiliar with public records requests. I mean, surprising, but not I wasn't shocked because before I went to graduate school at Columbia, I had no idea what a records request even was. And I had an undergraduate degree in journalism. Like, I think that there are some, some very specific investigative skill sets that journalism schools just aren't focusing on really anymore. And when I was living in New York, I taught at Columbia and NYU. I taught investigative classes there and then moved to Texas. And so obviously I stopped teaching at both of those locations and realized that within the curriculum that I'd already developed, I had FOIA workshops, like freedom of information workshops. And so I repackaged it for newsrooms to make it easy and bite-sized. And I give them free tools that are like fill-in requests that or like, how can you get more specific? Like, it's like a little clippy, except for it's me being like, more detail, please. And, and that's like the whole thing. And, and so, you know, it's a two hour class. I do it for freelancers twice a month for 15 bucks and newsrooms can hire me for like a very small amount of money to come in and teach it to their entire newsroom. And it's been great. I mean, like, first of all, it's important, I think, for journalists to realize how to do this well, because clerks such as yourself can spend a lot of time chasing their tails right and that like that's not a great way to make sources like you like it, it's not you know sending in a records request that's going to take a clerk three months to fulfill and then you're going to get 150 pages of stuff you don't actually need is like neither efficient for clerks nor reporters and so you know having a more sort of respectful exchange of thoughts and ideas and information and records requests is like it's a good way to ensure government transparency and also to make sure that you know you're actually getting the information that you're asking for without wasting anybody's time and so that's really what we focus on is like strategies to make your records request more efficient ways to request records without going through a formal records request process because that's probably an easier lift for the county because they don't really want to hide this information from you anyway right how can you appeal without making your appeal take three months for the county to consider because it's so complicated, right? Like, you know, just really narrowing down and, and having more specific asks of your sources, I think is like half the point of the training. I wonder if you might have a few recommended do's and don'ts for election officials when they receive public records requests. I'm sure you've seen the good, bad, and the ugly of responses. Gosh. Yeah, just yeah. So yeah. I mean, I think that the, the most annoying thing that happens to me when I'm sort of working with folks who are just learning how to file a records request is like, you know, let's say that you have 10 days in your state to respond to a records request, you get it, you read it, and you're like, I don't know what this even means. And you wait until day 10 to be like, this doesn't mean anything to me. I'm denying your records request. Like, like 
you knew when you opened it that you didn't understand what I was asking for. So like, don't wait until 10 days after you received it. Like that's a waste of both of our time, right? Like, I'm not going to just be like, oh, too bad. Like, I'll just never file this again. Like, you're just going to, we're just going to go like be communicating with each other with 10 days in between. Right. And, And I think that one of the things that I encourage folks to do when they're filing a records request is to call before you file it so that you can be like, hi, I'm about to file this records request. This is what I'm going to ask for. Does that make sense to you? Or do you need more information from me? And I am, I am surprised that like, there are a lot of clerks that are not even willing to talk about these on the phone at all. And I don't know if it's because they are concerned about litigation or they're concerned about saying something that maybe, you know, they shouldn't have said that was an error. But I I feel like if there is a, a more open exchange of information, then we can all just be done with this so much faster. Because I think that one of the things that journalists have done to compensate for the fact that counties often withhold unnecessarily is they ask for more than they need, right? It's sort of like asking your parents if you can go to Paris. And then when they say no, that's insane. Being like, well, can I just stay up past my curfew then? Right? Like, and 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 so, you know, journalists have started asking for massive buckets of information just to get the one thing that they want, because that's like the game they're playing with the people they're requesting records from. And I think that that's stupid, right? Like, and I don't think that it's stupid because clerks don't, are not going to eventually give me the information. Like, I just think that a more open and transparent approach to asking for what you want is, is generally better, but I understand why reporters do it. Right. And so it's, it's frustrating to be working with a office that's like, you're not being specific enough. And I'm like, well, you won't answer my phone call so that I can like understand exactly the criticism that you have of the way that I've described this. Or like, I would love to be more specific, but no one in the agency will tell me what the name of the freaking form is. So like, how am I supposed to be more explicit if you don't answer questions? And, and so what ends up happening is that because offices are unwilling to have conversations or answer questions at the front end. It all happens on the back end when we're all under like legally binding deadlines and starting to get angry with each other because we've all left things to the very end and then we just scream. And and I just feel like this is just not a good way to handle things. And especially in, in something like elections, right? Like the exact same thing could be called something totally different in the county next door. And so the reporter could have done an incredible amount of research and know exactly what they want. They're just not calling it the right thing. And so even if the clerk is like, I know what they're asking for, but that's not what it's called here. They don't say like, this is actually called this. Can you cancel this request and refile it? They're just like, no responsive documents. And like, that's infuriating. And and so I think that, you know, both reporters and records officers need to approach public records in a much more transparent way. Like journalists need to be more transparent about what they specifically want. And then the people who we're asking for it from need to be more willing to sort of work with us in order to get that thing. And I think that that's how we sort of like get around these just inherent misunderstandings that people have, especially about voting, right? Like voting is incredibly technical. Like I only appreciate that now that I've been covering it for six years. Like 
And so I think that if if clerks are not willing to get on the phone with a journalist and make absolutely sure that they understand, then the readers are not going to understand, right? Like if clerks can see journalists as a conduit to the public rather than like an annoying gnat that they want to swat, then I think the outcomes would be better. So I live it. I think that that's true for both like public records request generally, and also just coverage. I think that is a good segue into something that you had written recently about not just getting election authorities on the phone, but getting them to commit to being sources for things. Because Mm -hmm. I know a lot of clerks are happy to go on background about things. It's not probably in a lot of our natures to have public opinions about voting processes and especially reforms to voting processes and problems that are happening or commentary on anything. But, you know, as you've said in the explanation of why it's important to go on the record, the story doesn't get told if you don't have the people that are the experts on it actually telling the details because people are just going to fill in those gaps or the story is not going to get told at all and the public will just fill in those gaps and that's not better either. So um, do you want to talk about what kind of prompted you to bring that up now? So I've been dealing with this probably for a full year. You know, I, I think prior to this year, it took a while, but I could usually get somebody on the record. This year, it's been almost impossible. And and the, I think the, the nexus for this and like why I decided I was just finally going to write this was... Kalita Mitchell was appointed the board of advisors for the EAC, which is, I realize, like, which is a body that doesn't do anything and has no authority. Okay. And also it's Kalita freaking Mitchell. Okay. Like if we cannot, as a community be like, she is uniquely unqualified to be on this board that doesn't matter, then what are, what are we doing? Like, why can't you just say that? Like I had a number of people call me back and they were like, listen, I'll tell you that she's unqualified, but I'm not going to put my name on it. And I'm like, why? Like, why is this, why is this controversial at all? And they were like, like one person was like, well, you know, my secretary of state doesn't like it when other people in the office comment on the record. And I'm like, well, that's stupid. I like, I, I, that's no, you can't have anonymity for that. Like, that's it. And then another person was like, well, I just don't really feel like it's my place. I'm like, why, why do you not feel it's your place as a stakeholder for the EAC to say that someone who's just joined their board of advisors isn't qualified to be on it? Like you're an elections official that is entirely within your wheelhouse. And, and so I feel like if there are people like Jay Christian Adams and Cleta willing to go on the record about everything and anything. If, if there is not a counterbalancing force, then they control the narrative because as much as election administrators don't feel like people trust them, I guarantee you they trust the media less, right? And so I can't with a, a straight face quote someone anonymously being like Cleta Mitchell is a bad person. First of all, that's mean. And I don't care if it's Cleta or not. People shouldn't be able to share negative opinions about other people without putting their name on it. And also like, it is entirely within reason for people to look at that and be like, she made that up. 
I, I can't tell them I didn't, right? Like you're not putting your name on it. And so, you know, I think that, but this goes well beyond that. Like there are, I have a list of stories in my, uh, a, list, a list of stories in my computer that I cannot write because no one will go on the record. But until like, I can source some of this stuff. Like there's just not much I can do about it. And so, you know, in the same way that elections administrators sort of rely on their own credibility for their authority in their county, that's all I have to rely on as well, right? Like I can't, people don't trust what I say because it's me, right? Like people trust what I say because I can prove it. And so if I can't prove things, then then there's not a lot I can do with it. And I, I have these continually sort of frustrating conversations with election administrators who will call me to be like, I want to talk to you off the record. And I'm like, well, I guess. And then they'll just say all of this stuff that I can't do anything with. And so I become kind of like a therapist rather than like a reporter. And that's fine. Like I acknowledge that there are few people in this country that know about this at an in-depth level such that like an election administrator can call me and like bitch about some like very small ruling that a court has made against their list maintenance practices like yeah like I'm probably one of three people in your life that you can call and bitch about that too like I get it it's fine and I think that's fun so like I'm happy to have like off the record gripe sessions with folks but if it's like a gripe that actually affects the public and it and the public's sort of understanding and interaction with elections and you're not willing to sort of like stake your claim to that, then we're all worse off. And and I, I hear people all the time talk about how like we all need to like rally around a common understanding of the truth. Like what is the truth anymore? I mean, we arrive at a common version of the truth when there are two groups of people willing to put their name on what they believe that truth to be. And so if we have people who are Looney Tunes over here putting their name on everything, and we've got the rational people who are in this for democracy too scared to say anything, then truth starts to tip in the wrong direction. And I think that we are, we have arrived at that place. To try to take the side of election administrators for the sake of discussion here, can, can you not see though that you know for you you're a reporter this is your job to re report on these type of things that's your job there's there's no consequence for you to report on that jay christian adams and cleta mitchell there's no consequence for them to say and do what they say mm -hmm. but an election at least some, some election administrators for them to weigh in on that could have very deleterious consequences on their uh, job on their on their career so I mean what what would you say to that so I think that the consequences to the careers of these folks like significantly overstated first of all like I don't I I, I find it difficult to believe that anyone would lose their job for saying like it's inappropriate for Cleta to sit on this board while she's being criminally investigated in the state of Georgia and if you do get fired for that, then that's the story, right? Like it, 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 
it, I struggle with the idea that we shouldn't tell the truth openly because we're concerned about the consequences of telling the truth. I, I think that that's like a moral position that I am unwilling to stake out. And also I will say that like, there are significant consequences for journalists covering this stuff. Like I am harassed on a daily basis. Steve Bannon's sidekick called me a dumb cunt 11 times on the internet the other day. And I got like four horrifying phone calls as a result. Like, so I understand the consequences of speaking out and I'm not even the one doing the speaking. I'm just like the messenger. And so I get it. Right. And I was like, embedded in Georgia the entire time the runoff was happening, watching Jordan Fuchs and Brad Raffensperger get incredible threats and have to have armed guards on their side. Like, I fully understand the consequences, but I think that the consequences for American democracy are worse if we all decide that we're too scared. So at some point, we've got to like buff up a little bit. Because if the end result is that you're going to lose your job because you told the truth, is that a job that you want? Like, it's not a job I want. It's not a world I want to live in. And so if, if that's the reason, then I think that it's even more important for us to end this cycle, right? Like Jay Christian Adams and Cleta Mitchell are effective because they're mean, they're bullies. They are just as bad as the kids that made fun of people in elementary school and they their power comes from people not being willing to punch back and so if they get to be the loud angry bullies on the playground and we all are running scared from them then they retain their power but as soon as we stop then they have to right like the people who have hit back against these people win right? They win their court cases. These people have a horrific track record when it comes to like actually making good. Their power comes from the threat. And so we have to, at some point, decide that enough is enough. And we've now been through three federal election cycles where the misinformation has completely drowned out the good information. And the media, I think, is far more to blame for that than county clerks, but also county clerks' unwillingness to speak candidly with the media and take ownership of, you know, whistleblowing activity. Like we can't, like there's only so much that we can do to fix the problem if the people we need to quote aren't willing to go on the record. I do wonder, even if somebody is not necessarily afraid of saying something, they're just not interested in saying something. They just don't want the inconvenience of saying something and somebody calling them and saying, what are you doing talking about stuff? Like you've never done that before. Or the people that say they, they honestly believe that the more that they speak out about it, maybe it'll just go away if they stop giving them the attention that they want. And I hear that a lot when we're talking about, you know, what should your response be when social media misinformation starts blowing up in your county and somebody's saying something completely off the wall, clearly false? And the, the response from a lot of people is either because they're not well-versed on social media, they don't like social media, or they truly believe that because social media is not real life, they don't need to engage in it anyway. They just say, I'm not, that's not my job to engage in that. I'm not going to it won't have a lasting impact on me. The election will still happen and then I'll just move on. 
for those people that just don't think they truly believe that it's not going to help for them to talk and they just don't want to because they don't see it making any difference what would you say to them i think that the baseline job of a clerk is to make it so that voters can vote and they do so effectively and without having their ballot tossed out and so yeah, it may be true that there is only a minority of your voters who believe the thing, but they're still your voters, okay? And so like, we've decided that these people who believe crazy things just shouldn't be responded to at all. Well, those people are still gonna come and cast a ballot, okay? And like, and, and so I think that like, just eschewing responsibility for them because they're crazy is sort of, really taken a bite out of the purpose of being a county clerk. And then also these things are real life. Like we had people storm the Capitol because of some stuff that they read on social media. So this false distinction that people make about like information that's shared online versus like the way people share information offline is specious and it's not, it's no longer valid. And, and so if we see that this misinformation is actively affecting the way that people behave in real life, then it's something that we need to respond to. And I think that at the point where a journalist is calling you asking about it, it's because the journalist has decided that this piece of misinformation has reached a point of salience that it needs to be addressed. And so if clerks aren't willing to bat that back and bat it back hard, then the good information will never come to the fore, right? Like your average journalist does not know what a barcode on a ballot means or how it works or how that interacts with your system. The average journalist doesn't even know how the mail works, right? And so if they're calling and asking you about it, clerks need to take time to sit with this these reporters and fully explain it so that the reporters can do the job that they need to do and bat the misinformation back. If the journalist understands it better, the misinformation can be stemmed quicker, right? And so cutting these things off at the head actually makes it so that it doesn't reach your voters and then have an impact for you on election day. But also, I mean, I think that, you know, I think the part of the trouble is that prior to like right now, um, most reporters didn't call county clerks like ever at all. And, um, and yeah. so I, I don't think that there's like a real culture of like being prepared or, or willing to talk to the media and not because lack of transparency is some sort of value, but because people just don't know how and the prospect is intimidating and 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 so like I sort of spend a lot of my time making county clerks comfortable with me being around <laughs> yeah <laughs> no and I I think that's very true I think that's very true and there's a lot of county clerks and probably a lot of local even smaller clerks municipal clerks that mm -hmm. didn't get into the job ever having to do an interview for anything ever no. And it's no. very scary for them. Right. And they may not have to do an interview for the first like two years of their term. And then all of a sudden it's an election year and the phone doesn't stop ringing. And so I think that there's like a gap between, you know, I mean, I, I think that 
that a big part of this is the media, which is that they don't write about elections on non-election years or like non-federal election years, I should say, like it's an election year every year, but that's not part of the like media mindset on covering elections. And so you only get elections covered during federal election cycles when everybody's talking about voting. And by then all of the decisions that govern that process are made, right? And so the clerks are like, why are you asking me why we bought these machines? We bought them five years ago. Like nobody's ever asked me any questions about these machines before. And so, you know, it's sort of like a failure by the media to cover elections when the decisions are actually being made and a failure by county clerks to sort of be prepared to explain decisions they might have made several years before and under very different conditions. I I definitely think there's you're you're right mostly but I've not been around a super long time but it used to be that if you were in a metro area there was a beat reporter with the local paper probably with a radio station probably the, some TV station that covered local government and knew right. the county clerk, covered the voting equipment acquisition whenever that happened. And in a lot of places, that's not really happening anymore. And yeah, what's uncommon is for any national reporter to call some county clerk. And that's probably what's intimidating for a lot of them. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's true, right? Like, and I, and I have like the added sort of layer of like nobody knows what it is that I do like you know like when I call before when I call and I was like I work for ProPublica they were they were like Republica like what is that (laughs) and now that I work for VoteBeat like nobody knows what that is like we just started it and so I'm like I'm from VoteBeat and they're like spell that I'm like (laughs) VoteBeat um and they just like don't and so not only am I like a national reporter calling them asking them probably like more in-depth election administration questions than they've ever been asked by a reporter like they don't even know where I work and they're not convinced it's even real and so it's like it's like it's a bit it's a bit of a bit of a hurdle there I think there were a lot of examples over this last year of local election administrators vigorously um, defending their processes and you know trying to debunk claims you know fighting against whatever misinformation was being thrown their way. But those are often accusations thrown directly at them about the result in their jurisdiction or their process. And, you know, somebody be being appointed to an EAC board of advisors, taking myself as an example, I'll speak only for myself that, you know, I, I, I'll defend what we do here in my jurisdiction all day long, if somebody makes an accusation about it, but I hear the argument you're making about it, that there's a more global purpose to maybe commenting on that, but. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, this is a really big sort of, I think positional difference that clerks have that the public does not share, which is that clerks are very well aware that like every county is different and is like a little fiefdom of its own doing its own thing. Your average member of the public does not understand that. Your average member of the public thinks that the federal government does have some authority over elections. And appearance 
and perception are for a lot of folks reality, right? And so it doesn't super matter if you know that Cleta Mitchell is never going to have an impact on Boone County. Like what does matter is that this woman can use her position as an EAC Board of Advisors member to give her a bit of a patina of credibility that she shouldn't have. And she's using an agency whose only authority comes from the trust, the public and election administrators place in it to do that. And so I think that when I call to ask for people's comment about things, they're like, well, I don't want to shit on Cleta Mitchell. Like, I don't want you to shit on Cleta Mitchell. Like, I want you to talk about why this is bad for the EAC or why the EAC is going to be thrown off course because the EAC only has its credibility to fall back on. And this is a really big blow to it, right? Like, there are lots of ways to go on the record for a story that don't involve just insulting someone. You could offer additional context, or you could talk about the board of advisors and why they're good and what they've done in the past. Like there are so many ways to add to somebody's understanding about a story. And I think that people suffer from a real lack of creativity when thinking about the way that they need to stake out their public positions on things. That's something now that, that a lot of people are talking about yeah. Add, adding in, especially to county clerk trainings and stuff is, well, crisis management communication, but also just general media training, because that's not yeah. something we're used to. No, and it's not. And, and I feel like I'm having to sort of do media training on the fly when I go into a lot of these counties which is fine. And I, and I think that this is something that journalists should do as a matter of course anyway. But, you know, I have to go into these counties, especially small ones. Like, you know, like Dallas is fine. They're going to be fine. But like Hamilton County, Texas, right? Like I went in there and I had to be like, all right, I'm a national reporter. I work for ProPublica. I was working for ProPublica at the time. Here's what on the record means. Here's what on background means. Here's how you can give me stuff if you don't want to give me stuff with, with your name on it. Here's like, like what you need to say to me to let me know that you don't want your name on something, right? Like I had to like break all of this down because a lot of these county officials don't come with that built-in information and may never have even gotten a public records request from anybody, but like a local law firm or a local business. And so, you know, I think that there is a level of patience and sort of kindness that reporters are missing sometimes when they approach folks who are not that experienced in talking to the media. But I also think, right, that it's, that's really not our job. Like our, it is not our job to teach you how to talk to us. It is our job to just like cover the news. And so if clerks are so unwilling to talk to the media because they're afraid something might be taken out of context or they're afraid that the information won't be translated appropriately, then it's just never going to be, right? Like it may be true that the first couple of times you talk to your county reporter, that county reporter screws something up about the voting process because the voting process is complicated and like but like you should not assume that that person is trying to do a bad job. You should instead take it upon yourself to make sure that they understand before they go and inform the public about something incorrectly, right? Like that is the job of a county clerk. And so I, I think that if we, if county clerks and the media saw each other as complementary rather than antagonistic, then we could get a lot more done, right? Like journalists can help 
make your voter education campaigns go a heck of a lot farther. Like we know that your budgets are small, like we can be free educational tools. We can also make your lives really difficult by putting things into the paper or onto the news broadcast at 10 p.m. Things that aren't like perfectly true about voting and give people the wrong information. Like we've all seen that happen. And, and so I think that a more collaborative approach um, by the media and by county clerks would, would undo a lot of that. All right, everybody, that was another episode of High Turnout, Wide Margins. Big thanks to Jessica Huseman for being our guest. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you listen next time to High Turnout, Wide Margins.